Welcome everybody to Eagle Brook Church. It's really good to have you with us. And I especially want to welcome those of you who are at our Rochester campus. Rochester opening this weekend. If you are out at Rochester, just know there are eight campuses around the Twin Cities cheering for you right now. And the reason is because for the last couple of years, we have prayed about your campus. We have worked towards your campus. We have planned for it. God has really given us a heart for the city of Rochester, and we want to see Rochester reach for Jesus Christ, and today is the beginning of that, of that mission that we feel like God has given to us. We are so excited to see what God is going to do. Here's a picture that they sent us from Rochester, so we've got that in up on the side screens here, so you can see full out at Rochester, beautiful, and we are so excited again to see what God is going to do. You know, maybe today you are here, and it's one of your first times in church in a long time. And I just want you to know that I've been there. I, I didn't grow up going to church, and so I remember what it was like to walk into a building and not know the routine and feel a little bit uncomfortable. But I also remember it was exactly what I needed, that I needed an hour of the week to calm my spirit and to hear from God, and I'm praying today that you would sense God's presence and God's love in your life in a very real way. Before I dive into the message, I want to celebrate what God did Last weekend, John Alexander challenged our whole church to give above and beyond our normal giving. And we said, we're going to give all of this away. So whatever we receive from last weekend, we're going to give it all away to other organizations that help people who are in need. Orphans in Nicaragua, the homeless in Minneapolis, women who are trying to escape from abusive relationships at the dwelling place. All of it's going to go away to help other people. And I'm thrilled to share with you that we raised $847,295. That is unbelievable. I am so proud of this church and for those of you who gave. You know, sometimes people rag on large churches, and I know every church experience has, you know, pros and cons. But when you get a large church mobilized to action, you can help so many people. That is going to make a real difference in the lives of many people in the Twin Cities and around the world, and again, so proud of our church. All right, today we are beginning a new series, as you saw, called Picture Perfect Family. Here's a somewhat picture, perfect picture of our family. This was from a couple years ago, so my nine-month-year-old daughter is not even in the picture. None of those pictures are perfect, so we went with this one. But you can see there's kind of a rainbow that came over Lake Minnetonka. We were down doing a photo shoot at the docks down there, and a rainbow came over, and it was like, how picture perfect is that? But what you don't see in this picture is that this little guy right here, a few moments later, fell into the lake. <laughs> our, our photo photographer caught him coming up out of the water. He thought this was like the best family pictures ever, right? Fall into the lake, he made it better. But for every picture that we took after that, he was like a wet dog. You know, he's got wet hair and his clothes are dripping. And that was the best family picture outing we've ever had. Years before this, we took our two oldest kids when they were just three and one years old to JCPenney's for pictures. And as a pastor, people will sometimes ask me, what do you think hell is going to be like? And this is a little theologically loose, but it might be like pictures at JCPenney's. <laughs> My oldest son, he did not want to take pictures that day. He didn't get his nap. 
And so he didn't want to dress up. He didn't want to sit still or smile. And so I began by trying to reason with him. I said, it's only going to take 10 or 15 minutes. If you just smile for a little bit, it'll be fun. He said, no, it's not. So then I moved on to stage two, which was the bribing stage. I said, there's a Mrs. Fields cookies right around the corner. If you smile like a good little boy, you might get a cookie. He said, I don't want a stupid cookie. <laughs> so I had no choice but to move on to level three. Level three was he had this little stuffed animal that we called Nine-Night Boy. And it wasn't even really a stuffed animal. It was like a little ball that was attached to a blanket. It was one of those little deals. But he loved that thing. He would sleep with it, carry it with him wherever he went. And so I gently took Nine-Night Boy out of his hand. And I said, you love Nine-Night Boy, don't you? And he nodded slightly. And I said, if you ever want to see him alive again... You will smile for this picture. Picture perfect family. Ever been scrolling through online pictures before and you come to a family and it is just so cute and so perfect and you can't imagine them ever having any problems? Or my favorite one is when someone posts a picture with their new boyfriend or girlfriend. If you ever see that, go down to the comments because someone will always say, you look so happy. And I'm always thinking, well, of course they do. It's a picture. They're smiling. My favorite is when a guy posts a picture with his new girlfriend and he's actually not smiling. And he's like doing one of these because he's just not a smiler. Someone will still post, you look so happy. Thinking, no, he doesn't. No, he really doesn't look happy at all. I mean, he's just not a smiling kind of person. But that's because you can project something in a photo that isn't true in real life. That's why I've titled today's message, Don't Just Smile for the Camera. I was going through some pictures online this week of family photos gone wrong. These are family photos that never should have been taken. I don't know who their outfit coordinator was. Might have been better than these guys, though. That's, that's creepy. That's really creepy. I love this one. Grandma, you're out. We're, we're sick of you, Grandma. You just rag on us all the time. The, the denim thing worked a little bit, and I don't know like what the order of this is. I don't know who's who in that picture. That's a weird one. This one really bothers me. That one really bothers me. I will wake up thinking about that one. Uh, don't you feel better about yourself? I mean, at the very least, you came to church going, God, our family's messed up, and now you're like, we're doing just fine. All right, everybody? I've got some problems, but we're doing okay. That's because every single family has its issues. There is no such thing as a picture-perfect family. We all have our struggles. There is no such thing as a picture-perfect family. But we do serve a perfect God who's given us a picture of how he's designed families to operate. It's a family where husbands are attentive to their wives and their kids. They're not harsh, and they're spiritually leading the way. It's a family where wives are industrious and loving and spiritually grounded. It's where kids obey their parents, know God, and treat other adults with respect. It's where grandparents stay engaged and offer support when needed. It's where blended families can exist without division and separation. None of us have a picture-perfect family, but we do serve a perfect God who's given us a picture of how he's designed families to operate. One of those pictures is found in a chapter of the Bible called Colossians 
chapter 3, and I hope you will read this chapter this week because it's such a good chapter of the Bible. But in it, Paul, the person who wrote it, he starts to talk about family relationships and how God has created the family to function. I want you to see some of these verses. Here's how he begins. He says, husbands must love your wives and never treat them harshly. Husbands, let me ask you, are you doing that? If you were to give yourself a grade right now as to how you are loving your wife, putting her needs and her wants ahead of your own, what grade would you give yourself? One of my goals in life, I've written down several goals that I have for the end of my life, and one of them is that if I'm on my deathbed, I hope that my wife would look at me and she would feel cherished. And that's the word that I've used, that she would feel cherished by me, that she would feel loved and she would look back and go, I am so grateful that we got married. Paul goes on, he says, he says, never treat them harshly. Now that word never is a hard one. I'm embarrassed to tell you how many times I've snapped at my wife, how many times I've been overly critical of my wife, how many times I've taken my stress out on her, but I love the challenge that Paul is giving to us here. In fact, throughout the New Testament, this word harsh is oftentimes connected with fathers and husbands. In other words, apparently we have a tendency to be harsh with the people that we love the most. That we can get home from a long day and we just grunt and we complain and everybody else in the family is walking around on eggshells trying not to tick us off. And that is not in God's picture for your family. Paul goes on to say this to the wives. He says, wives must submit to their husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Now this word submit is misused and misapplied at times. So let me try to explain a little bit about what this means. It doesn't mean that husbands get to lord over their wives. It's not repressive. It doesn't mean that wives don't have a voice. At the heart of what the word means is to respect. And so wives, let me ask you, are you respecting your husband? If you were to give yourself a grade, what would you grade yourself when it comes to you, the respect that you have for the man that you married? And some of us would say, well, I, very little. I, mean, I don't respect my husband, but I'll tell you why. Because he's egotistical, he's mean, he's a drunken jerk. How could I ever have respect for someone like that? And if you find yourself in that situation right now, I have a lot of empathy for you. I also hope you know that respect doesn't mean that you don't set up boundaries. It's possible to say, you know what, I have a level of respect for you, but if you continue to drink that much, you can't live under this roof. I can have a certain respect for you, but say, if you look at those images on the computer, we are not going to have marital intimacy with one another. That respect doesn't mean that you enable highly sinful behavior doesn't mean that you support behavior that is ultimately destructive to your family. But I do see some wives who are highly critical of their husband over issues that I would consider somewhat minor. I mean, every husband has sin. Every husband has struggles. But how can you build him up? How can you encourage him to become the man that God created him to be? 
Or with you, is it always just an eye roll and calling your mom and your sister to talk about how stupid he is? That is not in God's picture for your family. Paul goes on and then he addresses kids. He says, children must always obey your parents. Now, if your parents are asking you to sin or if your parents are sinning against you, that's not what he's talking about here. But in all other situations, he's saying you must obey your parents. Not just the one time of the year that you think they're right. Right? There's like one time you're like, yeah, I think they might be right about that. The rest of the time you're like, Pfft. But he says, children must always obey your parents for this is what pleases the Lord. And all the parents said, amen. He then goes on and he addresses parents. He says, fathers, don't aggravate your children. If you do, they will become discouraged and quit trying. I was at my son's basketball tournament a few years ago, and we were waiting for his team to play. I was watching this other game, and there was this dad who was sitting behind the basket, and he kept yelling out things at his son. And at one point, he yelled out, Andre, why don't you stop being soft for just once in your life? And I looked out at Andre, who was not in the best shape, but looked like he was trying as hard as he could. And here's his dad yelling out and calling him soft in front of the whole gym of people. They lined up for a free throw at one point and Andre looked over at his father and he had the saddest look on his face. I told my wife afterwards, I said, that's one of the harshest things that a dad can ever say to their son. What that dad was saying is, I think you're weak. I don't respect you. I'm embarrassed by you right now. I'm not proud of you, and I don't believe you have what it takes. Can you imagine growing up to be Andre? Thinking to yourself, I'm soft. Always have been, probably always will be. Some of you know what that's like. Some of you grew up with a parent who was critical of almost everything you did. And you spent your whole childhood trying to win their approval, trying to get a positive comment out of them. And you might be still trying today as an adult. And how did that make you want to do? It made you want to quit. I see so many kids today walking around discouraged and they want to quit. They want to quit a sport. They want to quit school. They want to quit something in their life. And sometimes part of the reason is they've had a parent who's been harsh with them and aggravated them for years. I have to remind myself of this all the time because I can be very critical as a parent. I'm always offering up correction and what you could have done better. And I need to remind myself that what my kids need the most is they need to know I love them. They need to know I believe in them and I'm proud of them. But that's God's picture for your family. Husbands who love and love their wives, wives who respect their husbands, children who obey their parents, and parents who aren't harsh with their kids. But that's really hard to do. And it's hard to do because each of us brings a certain amount of selfishness, sin, and differences into the family dynamic. I was reading an article recently by a counselor, and he was talking about a couple that he had worked with. He was trying to help them through some conflict in their marriage. And one of the exercises that he had them do was to journal their thoughts and their feelings every day about their marriage. One of the days, here was what the wife wrote. She said, tonight, 
my husband was acting weird. We had made plans for dinner at a nice restaurant. Conversation wasn't flowing. So I suggested we go somewhere quiet where we could talk. He agreed, but didn't say much. I asked him what was wrong. He said nothing. I asked if it was my fault that he was upset. He said he wasn't upset. Had nothing to do with me and not to worry. On the way home, I told him I loved him. He smiled and kept driving. When we got home, he quietly sat down to watch TV. Finally, with silence all around, I decided to go to bed. About 15 minutes later, he came to bed and fell asleep. I don't know what to do. On that very same day, here's what her husband wrote in his journal. Rough day. Boat wouldn't start. Can't figure out why. Is it? And you wonder why we have so much conflict in our families. We are so different. You've heard people say that opposites attract and then opposites attack. And that's very true. I mean, what used to be cute and kind of endearing can quickly become annoying and irritating. My wife and I have had conflict over my driving. My driving habits have been a conflict in our marriage. We've had conflict over when it's okay to throw away leftovers. I'll open up the fridge and there'll be a bowl that will have two peas in there. And I'm like, we could have just thrown that away, but my wife hates waste. We've had conflict over that. We've had conflict about how to raise our kids, who does more chores, who has a harder life. Ever thought about that? Oh, you think you had a hard day. You, you, you got a nap earlier today. You, you want to hear about my day and how hard I have it? My wife and I have that fight all the time. My wife and I, we have differences over how to spend money, how many activities to sign the kids up for, what time we want to go to bed, and that's just in our marriage. Then you add our kids to the equation. Our kids, there's a fight that breaks out every time we cut up watermelon. All of my kids love watermelon. And so the minute you cut one up, it's like, he got a bigger piece than me. That's not fair. You've always loved him more. You give him a bit. It's like, no, no, no. It's just, I'm just cutting. I don't know. My kids are going to be in counseling 10, 20 years from now. I'm going to be like, watermelon. And that's just our kids. Then you add grandparents and step-parents and exes and in-laws. And all of a sudden, you figure out there is no such thing as a picture-perfect family. We all have our struggles, which again is why I've titled today's message, Don't Just Smile for the Camera. Don't just pretend that everything's good or okay if it's not. That's not God's picture for your family. Don't just smile for the camera, love each other. Don't just smile for the camera, love each other unconditionally. How do you do that? Let me give you two ways. Here's the first one. Get rid of the sin that hurts your family. So Paul goes on in Colossians 3. This is the same chapter I was reading from earlier. And he says this. He says, get rid of sexual sin, impurity, lust, and greed. Get rid of all anger, rage, and filthy language. I've talked to people before who will say, I don't think it's a big deal that I use that language. It's not hurting anybody else not knowing that their kids use four-letter words when they're not around and are compromising their values in other areas of life as well. I've talked to people who say, my, you know, my, my looking at those images on the computer, my lust, it's, it's not hurting anybody else. 
not realizing what that's doing to their marital intimacy. I have seen whole families blow up because of one person in that family's secret or hidden sin. One person whose lust spilled over into an affair and now everybody's picking up the pieces. One person whose anger finally boiled over and the police had to be called and now the whole family is trying to figure out what to do. Paul says, don't just smile for the camera. Get rid of those things that are hurting your family the most. And I'm not talking about your spouse's issue or your parents' issues. I'm talking about our issues. It's a picture of a man named Lawrence Ripple. <clears throat> Lawrence walked into a bank in Kansas City, Missouri several years ago. He pulled out a gun and he demanded all of the money. But then he did something very strange. He went and sat down in the corner and told people to call the police. He didn't run. He didn't flee. He just sat there waiting for them to come and handcuff him. When he was asked later about this strange behavior, Mr. Ripple said, I'd rather go to jail than spend one more night with my wife. At his hearing, the judge could have sentenced him up to 10 years in prison, but instead the judge gave him six months house arrest. That's a good judge. That's a really good judge. Six months to spend some time with his wife. But here's what I would guess about Mr. Ripple. I would guess that it wasn't just his wife's issues that were causing problems in their marriage. I would guess that he probably had some areas that he was contributing to the problem as well. Look at what Jesus says about this. He says, why do you criticize the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? This is a magnifying glass. And if you wanted to see a speck of sawdust, this would help you. But you'd have to get close, wouldn't you? You don't see a speck of sawdust from far away. You oftentimes have to get really close in order to see it. And it's the same way with our families. It's why people say to you, oh, your kids are so well behaved. And you're like, I don't know if they are or not. It's why sometimes people, you'll meet someone, you'll go, man, they're so great. And then the closer you get to them, the more you kind of go, you know, I, I, I think I see some specks of sawdust. I, I think I see some faults. But here's what I believe. We get to choose what we magnify. When it comes to your brother or your sister, you get to choose if you're going to magnify the things that they don't do well that you don't like or if you're going to magnify the good things about them. When it comes to your son or your daughter, you can be critical or you can be encouraging. When it comes to your marriage, you can choose to find a speck of sawdust if you want to, but you can also magnify the way that God created them and the reason why you married them in the first place. But you get to choose what you magnify. You get to choose what you are going to make bigger. See, I believe there are some of us here today who need to put down the magnifying glass and we need to pick up a mirror. And we need to turn it around and go, what is that plank that's sticking out of my own eye? In fact, let me ask you, what habit or behavior 
in you is hurting your family the most? Can you identify what that is? What is the pattern of behavior, the habit, the attitude in you that is hurting your family the most? You've got to get rid of that. Now, if you're like me, you might hear Paul say, get rid of it. And I'm like, I'm trying. I mean, I, I can get really irritable if I'm stressed out and tired. I don't like that about myself. I'd like to get rid of it. I can be overly demanding towards my kids. It puts too much pressure on them to be high achievers in every area of life. I don't like that about myself. I would love to get rid of that, but there are times when it's like, I just don't know how I keep doing it and I don't want to. But I love what Paul says just a few verses later. See the connection here. He says, let the words of Christ in all their richness live in your hearts and make you wise. In other words, the more that the word of God lives in your heart, the less at home things like anger and lust and greed will be in your heart. I've started to listen to the Bible on the way home from work at times because I just need a buffer. I need to fill my mind and my heart with the truth and the wisdom of God's word in between work and home because you become a wise person the more that God's word begins to live in your heart and you're able to get rid of those things that hurt your family. Here's the second way, not just to smile for the camera, but to really love each other. Agree on the final family portrait. So one more verse from Colossians 3, he says this, set your sights on the realities of heaven. In other words, every once in a while, get your eyes off of your life and your current circumstances and start to think about the future. Start to think about what life is going to be like with God in heaven. And start asking this question 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 100 years from now. What do I want my family to look like? My wife and I were talking about that question a while back. And one of the things we said was, you know, in the future, we would love for our whole family to go to church. That even when our kids are adults, we want them to have a church that they go to. And wouldn't it be cool if we went to the same church and, you know, could go grab food afterwards or something? Now, I don't know if that will happen. But here's what I do know. I know that it won't happen if we don't make church a priority right now. If, if church is always like second or third to other things in life, we have no hope when they're 30 or 40 of going, hey, let's make church a priority. What is it that you need to start to do today that can help you have the family portrait that you want tomorrow? About 20 years ago when my wife and I were just dating, it was an Easter Sunday and we were at her mom's apartment and we were talking about her family. And at the time, her brother was smoking pot before school her sister uh, was sort of hostile to God and she had attempted suicide. Her mom had some very severe mental health issues and her father was addicted to alcohol. And so we said, well, let's pray. And so we sat down and started praying for her family and it, it kind of started out like any normal prayer. You know, Lord, we just pray for Sarah's brother kind of thing. And then I'll never forget it because both of us started to cry. And it was almost like we were crying out to God. And it felt like God's presence and God's spirit was in that room with us. 
Now, I don't know how all these things work in the spiritual realm, but I believe that there was a power in that prayer. In fact, this past summer, our family, Sarah's family, we rented a cabin up north, and we gathered together, and her brother was there, and he's now married with two kids and is one of the most godly people I know. If you met him, you would go, he, he knows Jesus, you can just tell. And her sister has three kids and watches our messages online every week, and God has a purpose for her life. Her mother has experienced some significant victories over her anxiety. And my father-in-law has been sober for several years and helps lead our Quest 180 addiction recovery ministry out at Blaine. And as we were at this cabin, we gathered all the cousins and we put them out on a dock to take a picture. And here's the picture we got of all of the cousins. And every time I look at that picture, I just go, God, thank you for your grace. Because that's a picture that I never thought we would take. You know, maybe you're here today and right now, you're going through a divorce. And you look back at the pictures from your wedding day and you think, I never thought we would be here. But that's where you're at. Or maybe you have a son or a daughter who is not walking with God and is kind of pulled away from your family and it breaks your heart. And you get the family photo album out and you see these pictures of when they were six and seven years old and you just think, my little boy, my little girl. I never thought we would be here. Maybe you don't talk to your brother or your sister anymore. There's been a falling out. And every now and then you'll have a memory of your childhood and you'll kind of laugh. And then this sadness will sleep over you that you don't talk to that person anymore. Here's what I'm hoping for each of us today. I'm hoping that each of us would put a stake in the ground and say, by God's grace, my family picture may not be perfect right now, but God, you are not done with my final family portrait yet. That by God's grace, even if your family isn't picture perfect right now, your family portrait can be a masterpiece. That God is not done with you yet. God is not done with your family yet. I want you to feel this and know this in your life so badly that I've asked the worship team at all of our campuses to come out and to sing a closing song for us called God's Not Done With You Yet. And as we're singing this song, as you're listening to this song, a few weeks ago we went on social media and we asked our church to post prayer requests that they have for their family. And we said we might use this in a message or in a service. And so you're gonna see some prayer requests on the screen and these are real people who are in our church. And as you see those prayer requests, my hope is that one of them might hit you. And you might think, you know what, we're going through a similar situation right now. And God would just use that simple moment to remind you that you're not alone and that God is with you. Or maybe your family's in a pretty good spot and as you look at these prayer requests, you might just pick one and start to pray for them. And pray for them this week that God would do something in their family that might seem impossible right now. 
And as you're taking in this song and these prayer requests, would you think about one prayer request that you have for your own family? And if you were to write a prayer request up on that screen, what would it be for your family? And then I want you to spend a moment in your head just praying and asking God for that. Take in this song and let God speak to you. good news that God's not done with you yet God's not done with your family yet if you would have asked my wife and I to put a prayer request out 20 years ago 
look dramatically different than what it would look like today. I hope all of you know that there's a power in Jesus Christ. There's a power to heal your family. There's a power to change a human heart. And it only comes through relationship with Christ. I love what Psalm 40 verse 1 says. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Some of us right now are in that season where you're just waiting patiently. God, when is this going to change? David says, I know what that's like. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And then he says, and he turned to me and he heard my cry. I believe today that God has heard your cry. That God has heard that prayer of your heart for your family. And as you wait patiently for him, there is a hope beyond this grave. There is a hope that is found in Jesus Christ that says that where you are today may not be where you will be in the future. That what your family picture looks like right now may not be how your family picture will look. That there's a final masterpiece that God is still creating. Let's pray together at all of our campuses. God, there are some of us here today who are hurting for a person in our family. And there's a prayer request, God, that we're just crying out to you. God, I pray that you would give us the strength and the comfort to wait patiently, to wait in faith, knowing that you are in control, knowing that you love us and want the best for our life. And God, by your grace, even though our family may not be picture perfect right now, there's a final masterpiece that's awaiting us in the future. God, I pray that you would do the impossible. I pray for miracles. I pray for healing. I pray that you would do a work in our families and that you would get all the glory for that, God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer for something in your life or in your family, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great weekend, everyone. <laughs>